Creating Utopia, the podcast. Ideas to change the world, where we turn conversation into action. Thank you for joining. This episode is titled 10-Minute Must-Read Books Part 2, Letters to a Young Contrarian by Christopher Hitchens. No matter how much time we make to read, there are just too many worthwhile pieces of literature out there. I chose Hitchens' Letters to a Young Contrarian as the second part of this new segment, 10-Minute Must-Read Books, because this is a time where we need controversy. Opinions of all shapes and sizes, of all ranges, and from everyone, to become fashionable again. If you've never heard of Christopher Hitchens, it's quite an honor to be the one introducing you to his work. If you have, I'm going to try to elaborate on those letters that, if were read by you already, here's a refresher. Let's dive right in. What does it mean to be a contrarian in the modern world? There are a growing number of people who refuse to believe the earth is round. That's a contrarian position. Climate change, not real. Contrary to what the overwhelming consensus, I think it's up to 98 or 99% of the human beings who study the climate, agree that climate change is real and a dire threat. This is not what Hitchens had in mind. Being a contrarian or being a deep thinker, not accepting the orthodox story that is handed down from those who control the narratives, does not mean rejecting reality or rejecting facts. It's difficult to analyze the present from a historical perspective, but it's quite apparent that we're in the middle of multiple revolutions. I've said it before, digital, automation, and oft overlooked is the information revolution. The vast majority of the population is unwilling or unable to really understand issues that are outside of their realm of knowledge or expertise. What I mean here is that quantum physics is rarely extremely well understood by those who work in restaurants, for example. Or the climatological data of planet Earth for the past 5 million years is not usually fully grasped by someone who drives a bus for a living or someone who is a doctor, or a nurse. The doctor knows biology. The bus driver has an intimate knowledge about traffic patterns. But we can't expect them to also be an expert in Greek antiquity. Don't get me wrong, there are many with vast areas of knowledge. The author of the book I'm elaborating on, Christopher Hitchens, was considered to be a public intellectual. But one thing to notice, the more you pay attention to any expert on any subject, they are usually the first to admit ignorance or a lack of full understanding regarding anything. Let me repeat that. The people who literally know the most about any subject are uber willing to admit when their knowledge is lacking. Where does this leave the rest of us? Without the ability to become true experts in perhaps anything, what do we do? Well, we can see what most people do. Those who have access to the internet and work 9 to 5 and who have little to no time for leisure, well, they adapt the beliefs they've always had, usually passed on by parents, with the beliefs of those around them, physically or digitally. And then they believe, and that's an important word, believe that they're right and everybody else is wrong. Here's the chain of thought behind Flat Earth for those that can't understand why so many end up with that conclusion. 
they would claim there isn't one piece of information regarding anything controversial that we can say definitively has been examined and uncovered fully and or shared openly. There is controversy surrounding JFK, Nixon was a criminal, Clinton impeached, 9-11 question marks, aliens, and Project Blue Book. Like, why hide so much? Why lie and build this distrust? If the narrative being passed on to the people isn't true, what else have we been lied to about? And once that question is raised in the minds of someone who can clearly see, for example, the 9-11 Commission report was incomplete, or who knows some of the history of the Great Depression, or have people who have read about cigarette companies obscuring cancer research, well, then the wheels can fall off pretty quickly, and all of a sudden, everything is in question. And it's easily believed to be untrue. The Earth is flat because everything is a lie. It's like the contrarian instinct that Hitchens was trying to promote is being played upon by those who are just telling fairy tales, and the lack of seemingly reliable sources has led some to lose grip on the real world. Maybe it's that so many have rejected God or a higher power, but there seems to be this open space in people's minds that they need to fill with anything. White nationalism, space is fake, Trump is telling the truth, climate change is a hoax, these thought bubbles, where by believing in nonsense, you simultaneously become a victim of sorts, while also being a hero or a genius in your own mind. You're someone who knows something that no one else does. It feels good. It's powerful to think that climate change is a hoax or that Hillary Clinton is a demon, and all the sheeple out there, they're the ones who are brainwashed. And this is where we are today. In the middle of the information revolution, where people now have access to the others, the honest actors and the cons are all mingling together to form this alternate reality. Anyone who disagrees can be turned off or muted or ignored, and those we find that hold the same beliefs we already do are aligned with and amplified. For example, if a community decides that 2 plus 2 equals 5, and everyone adapts and changes, then in that localized situation, 2 plus 2 is 5. They're just calling what we call 4, 5. It doesn't change math, but it changes what we say. We have to accept that. But because of this notion, so many people have kind of turned off their cognitive capacity and decided that they can now choose whatever. Reality is individualized and everyone else is being duped. If, if you think the earth is round or if you think that there is space, you're the one who isn't thinking clearly. Here's where Hitchens comes in. And I don't want to claim to know what he might say, but I'm going to try to dig into my reservoir of hitch knowledge and respond to a flat earther or a spaces fake argument, like if Eddie Bravo were in front of me right now. I would say, I understand where the thought space is fake is coming from. The society or reality we live in today could very well be matrix-like, lies on top of lies or deceptions on top of deceptions. The simulation argument makes sense. The Bostrom theory, promulgated by Elon Musk, that this most likely is one of infinite simulated universes run by some kind of real-world ancestor. I'll grant you that there are questions that have yet to be answered, and the answers could be bizarre. But regardless of the constituent nature of the world we live in and on, there are facts we can agree upon due to our shared experience and shared reality. 
I'll bring up the caveat here in philosophy where you may be under the impression that there's a chance I'm not real. If you, Eddie Bravo, want to go that far and make a claim that people who are talking to you aren't real, go for it. That's okay. I don't like to judge. I think that that was an idea that Bertrand Russell couldn't square. But that would classify you as someone who is maybe a danger to those you're around, and there may be a disassociative mental situation going on, where even to suggest speaking with qualified professionals in that case could still be treated as some sort of evidence that no one else is real. I know that's hard to follow, but I'll assume you're willing to accept I'm real. Let's start there. Now, you know that there are biological truths. You need air, water, and food. If I punch you in the face, it hurts. We're a part of shared reality. Any qualms so far? If you do something, I can observe and learn from it, and vice versa. So, for example, if I build a shovel and dig a hole, you can watch me do that and just copy it. You don't have to reinvent the shovel, reinvent digging, or reinvent the hole. Now, because this shared reality exists, once we all agree that we're calling things by name, numbers are countable on our hands, and we can see that two fingers and two fingers equals four fingers, there is no longer an ability to argue with that as an individual, as it doesn't belong to you anymore. Two is not your concept. It doesn't exist in your mind, and you can't do whatever you want with two. Well, I mean you can, but no one else needs to pay any attention to you. We've solved the problem in the shared reality of two plus two equals four, and once knowledge has been revealed and shared, it can't go backwards. It can be forgotten, but it can't regress. 2 plus 2 equals 4, whether there are humans to do math, that knowledge is fundamental to the universe. There was a time when humans could not see space. It was a black sheet in the sky, visible at night with distant lights. And then a human being came along named Hans Lipperche, excuse my pronunciation, in 1608, and invented the telescope. He could see space in a way no other human ever could. Now from that moment, Eddie, if he was the only one, he said, hey, this is what space looks like. There are other planets and stars, and they're moving and coming into existence, and we can see 13.8 billion years worth of activity through cosmic background microwave radiation. I would say, I need more evidence. Let me see it for myself. 400 years later, and I can. Easily. We have progressed so far that it's feasible in my lifetime that I will go to space on vacation with SpaceX and others working on mass space transit. There have been thousands if not millions of humans who have studied space the makeup of the stars, the movement of the planets. We've witnessed galaxies merging with other galaxies, and not only have we looked, we've been there. We have satellites and probes floating out in space. Now, Eddie, if you want to claim that everyone who has gone to space is lying, then again, we have a reality testing problem. Is everyone lying too, then? Every one of those astronaut family members, the ones who worked on the launches, trained them for years, is that all a lie? 
Extraordinary claims require extraordinary evidence. Find the thousands of astronauts and their family members who admit they never went to space. Find the astrophysicists that admit there are no stars that they've been studying. There aren't any. Who's more likely to be correct? Someone who has no fully grasped understanding of the subject? Or those who spend their entire lives studying it? Something Hitchens fought his entire life trying to change the narrative regarding was a belief in God. Well, flat earth or climate change or space is fake. It's the same suspension of reason that it's unacceptable to do this in any other realm of life. Eddie Bravo, if space is fake, why aren't you fake then? Or why isn't your house a hologram? Or is, is your brain in a vat? It could be anything. And to plant your flag with 100% confidence on the side of nonsense publicly is not something to be proud of. Moving forward, if you are set in being a human who is willing to deny reality, then what else will you deny or believe based on nothing? Do you want to be the contrarian who stands in the rain and claims to be dry? The contrarians we need right now are those willing to go into the conversations and the arguments with those who are talking nonsense and stand up for the principles of rationality. I've attempted it myself many times, and I'm more than willing to discuss any issue with anyone from any point of view. When you feel you're right and others are wrong, perhaps it's time to take a contrarian position towards yourself and recognize the limits of your own knowledge. In 2019, all you need to do is say, I don't know, maybe space is real, or maybe I'm wrong about climate change being a hoax, or maybe there is a biological difference between individuals with XX and XY chromosomes, and you're well on your way. Now for the final segment, how to create utopia, a semi-actionable idea that can make life, the world, or both just a little bit better. Seek argument for the sake of argument. The only direct quote from Letters to a Young Contrarian that I'll use. It's one of those quotes where you can't help but read it in the voice of the author. And I've told myself moving forward, it's a passage that I'll try to embed into my worldview. It's as Sam Harris would say, a software upgrade for the mind. Arguments are not something to be avoided. They're not relationship ruiners. Arguments shouldn't break up families. And they should never lead to violence. We argue to prevent violence. Our words can never hurt each other the way a fist, a bullet, or a nuclear weapon can. And the day we forget that we have to use our words and our voices to solve problems is the day modern civilization can perhaps wave goodbye to this trajectory of progress we've been on for over half a century. It's no secret that having a controversial opinion or taking an unpopular stance amongst your up-to-that-moment allies can leave you stranded and outcast. See Dave Rubin. But this has to be in part because of the argument, the seeking of the argument, the debating of the facts and repudiation of lies and mistruth and obfuscation has just fallen out of fashion. It's supposedly impolite to argue or question. It's in poor taste. So I gladly volunteer to be the one discussing anything and everything at the risk of poor taste. And creating Utopia for this week would suggest you do the same or else we'll all find ourselves unable to share our thoughts for fear of reprisal. It's not 1984. 
yet. We have the freedom and ability in the West to say whatever we like, especially in the spirit of positivity. If you're offended by something, that's a you problem. If I'm offended by people with green hair, do those with green hair need to conform to my idea of what's offensive and what's not? Or do those with green hair have the freedom to live their lives and dye their hair whatever color they choose? Who are we more concerned about? Those who are arbitrarily offended by whatever their minds decide is offensive? Or the freedom for everyone? If you disagree and think that if I'm offended by green hair, it's society's job to protect me from that offensive green hair, the only thing I can suggest here is you need to research the meanings and origins of words like bigotry and prejudice and racism. I liken this individual who wants to ensure my freedom from any arbitrarily defined offense. It's as if you read 1984 and you think it's a good thing that Winston is legitimately unable to offend anyone due to societal constraints. This episode is here to remind you that we have a series of serious communication problems in this world, and one of the solutions, and I thank Hitch for setting an example, seek argument for the sake of argument. listening to this episode of creating utopia if you found it interesting share it on social media follow me on twitter at creating underscore utopia and any questions or comments we'll make every effort to reply to everyone stay tuned for the next episode